sorry, e, there's a there's a presentation on there. And once you hit go, it should take care of itself. Morning, everyone. It's a good weekend. Praise the Lord for Malachi, the newest member of Welly Fally. That's really cool. Um, from what I know, um, Sister Abby's in good spirits and in good health. And she's wrapped that she's finally got this little bundle of joy, which is a real blessing for her and obviously Michael and for us. So we've got a new brother. So that's really very, very special and very cool. So praise the Lord for that. Um, we had a great, well, I can only speak for the guys. We had a great day yesterday. We did some things that some people have never done before. Beach sprints. Pat knows what I'm talking about. Uh, it was a really good day. We had some pizza. We did some really cool stuff. Just really good just to have that fellowship. Um, and I know the ladies would have had a great time as well. Um, so praise the Lord for that. Really good stuff. Okay. Yes, we're going to talk about staying the course or stay the course today. Um, I had a couple of thoughts lately and they've been stolen every talk and uh, Don kept stealing them again on, on Sunday, uh, Wednesday night. And I guess um, <clears throat> I want to talk, well, let's turn to Isaiah 42 first of all. Let's just turn to Isaiah 42. So I'm going to t- turn there. I want to talk about um, just us having a, this, this resolve that we actually make a, I've got to be careful what I say here because it's going to have all sorts of con- connotations, but this decision to follow the Lord like, and stay the course and to, and to stick with it. And in Isaiah 42 uh, and verse 16, just two verses here, it says, And I will bring the blind by a way that they didn't know, that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed that trust in graven images that say to the molten images, you are our gods. Hear ye deaf and look ye blind that you may see. And the Lord here is, we get a little insight into his desire. What he wants to do is create a new way for people, a new way to live their life. He wants them to walk in a different way than the way they've walked before. And these concepts are not new for most of us. Um, the, the repentance comes to mind, a new creation, born again, all, all that type of thing all fits into this, this mindset that God has towards us. And he particularly talks about here about turning away from the things that have distracted us. Obviously, in the history of Israel, and this week was, a, I guess, a big week for the history of Israel. October 31st, uh, Brother Greg and I went down to the Hall of Memories or whatever it's called, and we sat in on, on the 100-year Battle of Beersheba, and all the bigwigs were there, all the ministers and the hoo-hahs and the padres and all that. And I felt really special to sit there next to my brother as we were the representative of God's people there just knowing exactly the significance of what that battle did and I can talk to you for about four hours after about that if you like but there was great significance and they recognized it paved the way for the bringing in of this nation Israel and for the returning of that land in Palestine to them and that's all talked about in the Bible and this nation Israel they followed other things they got distracted that's the whole story of Israel Oh, there's something flashy and shiny over there. Let's go over here. Oh, oh, there's a light over here. They were just those people who were all over the shop. And God's like, no, no, I want, I want this people to turn away from, 
from these other gods and these other distractions and I want them to come to me and I will show them a life that they can that they've never seen so um, I'm going to talk about that today I want to talk a little bit about I want to we're going to go through an example of a of, of three lads who who stayed the course and we're going to talk about that a little bit I want to talk a little bit about the encouragement from Jesus Christ and Paul's encouragement to the New Testament church as well so we're going to try and cover those today so let's go to Dan- Daniel chapter 3 uh, it's in the neighborhood a few books on most of us will know at this time well as a result of Israel not turning away from their, their distractions. God said, okay, well, if that's the way you'll have it, well, then I'm going to release you. And part of that release was other nations came in and took Israel captive. And one of those nations was Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, famous man in history. You can look him up in every history book that you can find, well-known historical figure, these stories, you can go to the British Museum and you can see these stories in artifacts. Like this is this is not fairy stories or or made up fables. This is history we're reading about now. And um, Nebuchadnezzar, he he he, his armies took um, uh, Jerusalem captive and they took the Jews and they took them back to to Babylon and uh, to his kingdom. And uh, he thought, I'll take the best of things. And some of those best things were people. And he took these particular men, um, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we would most commonly know them, but they've got other names. And they, um, he took the best of those people. So these people were captives, though. They were people who, they were lads who had their rights taken away from them. And they were in under house arrest, really. That's really what it was. So... They were in a very, very difficult situation. And the whole time, the story you can read in Daniel chapter 1 to sort of 4, that the people who are in the positions of power within Babylon are trying to trick them and catch them out. They're trying to trip them up and get rid of these guys because they were shining lights amongst them and they wanted to get rid of them. And one of the things they did is they set up this golden image. And they did it. They tricked the king into setting up this golden image and saying that if anyone uh, doesn't bow down to them when they play the dulcimer and the whatever other instruments that they had back then, when they started playing the music, if you didn't bow down, then you were thrown into the fiery furnace. And they tricked Nebuchadnezzar with that. They played on his pride and they got him to sign the stuff. And anyway, they got him. And what happens here is that these guys, they don't bow down. There's this big, shiny idol. And they're saying, well, all you've got to do is when you hear the music, just bow down to it. Eve, it might not mean anything to you, but just do it anyway, and then you can save your bacon. That's more of a concept, I guess, that we can probably relate to, is, oh, yeah, oh, I'll just cross my fingers and it doesn't really matter. Oh, no one's watching, no one cares, I'll just bow down and then no one will be able to pick me up. They're the types of things I would imagine were going through these guys' head. Or... They could stay true to their God and not bow down to this thing. So they had a choice. So these are not too distant concepts from what we face today. And I guess that's what I want to try and align today is that these things that we read about and this instruction from the Lord himself, from these examples of Old Testament prophets and people here, um, Jesus' encouragement and Paul's to the New Testament church very much relates to today. So let's just pick this story up in verse 12. It says, 
there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, and they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded that these three lads be brought before him. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, I'm going to keep relating this back to us. It's really easy for us to distance ourselves from that and say, well, no one's actually ever asked me that before. But to, in today's day and age, it is a lot more subtle. It's not someone necessarily, and it, but it could be, standing in front of you saying, do you serve Jesus Christ or not? It might be someone trying to influence you in a way to put something ahead of that, whatever that might be. There are billions of things that, we could put before the Lord. So they ask him this question. It says, Now if we be ready, if you be ready that that at what time you hear the sound of the corn at the flute, the sackbuck, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made. But if you worship him not, you shall be cast that same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And again, this is kind of how even society works today. Or I'll give you a chance. You said that you follow Jesus Christ. Well, now you're going to put your money where your mouth is, and I'll give you a chance. Now I'm going to throw another temptation in your way, and let's see what you really think. And that's kind of the challenge that, and the world and the environment that we end up in. Sometimes it can be external things that throw these things at us. Workplace, family, peers, um, community, so on and so on. But sometimes it's in our own heart. I really like lollipops. And they've got a lollipop convention on. And they want me to do certain things to be part of the lollipop group. Am I prepared to do them? And so on. There's no such thing as a lollipop group, I don't think. But you replace that with maybe something that's dear to you. Now, music might not be your thing. So if someone comes and says, hey, you want to be a rock star? You go, no, nah, it doesn't even, yeah, no, I'll stand against that. Sport, oh, sport means nothing to me. It might be, I don't know, crochet. That might be the thing that comes at you. Bulldogs showing, I don't know, there's a thousand things that you can get yourself involved in. But it'll be different for every one of us. It might be just trying to be popular. I just want to be. I just want. To, I just don't want people to hate me. I want to be liked by everyone. That's kind of. That's a tough one for a lot of us, and it just goes on. Might be fishing. <laughs> still blowing northwest out at Ocean Beach. We could be there still doing beach sprints. What the question is. Is what, it is what is it for us, and are we prepared to stay the course and stand up against it? And we don't have to do that in a disrespectful, smart, sarcastic way. We can do that with integrity and poise and discretion, and you can do that in a real powerful way, and we get that example right here from these lads. Um, so they've been challenged again, and Shadrach in verse 16, Meshach and Abe answered and said to him, said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, this word careful here, it means they weren't anxious about it. They didn't 
They weren't going to try and rehearse something. This was a real truth in their life. So they were going to answer him very honestly. That's really what it means. And it says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image that you have set up. Now this is... This is a wonderful example of three lads here. And they're depicted as being young, but they're probably in their 40s, which is young, super young. Um, they are, here they are standing up and saying, well, we serve God. We know him to be true. So you do what you like. We're staying the course. We're going to serve our God and nothing else. You throw us in the burning firing furnace. If it burns us up, so what? We still haven't served your God and we know where where our allegiance lies. And that is a wonderful encouragement for us in whatever challenge that we face. And again, it might be external, it might be internal. If we're battling with things with our own heart and mind, we can tell our mind, no, we are not going to serve other things. I'm going to serve the Lord. And sometimes... That simple answer is really where the power is. That's where our lifeblood, our energy, our power comes from in those simple decisions just to stay with the Lord no matter what. And it goes on. We'll finish the story up for those that maybe aren't that familiar with it. It goes, and then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat this furnace seven times hotter than it should have been. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in the army to bind those three lads and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and their lederhosen and their hats and their garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And I guess maybe a little bit here for us is sometimes... Your worst, the worst, the worst thing that could happen actually happens. Sometimes that's the reality of it. But if our resolve is on the Lord, it doesn't matter what happens in our environment. It doesn't matter if the worst thing happens. We have the Lord. In the New Testament, the scriptures talk about people dying in the Lord, falling asleep in the Lord, as 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 what. The scriptures put it, and it says, but they will rise to meet the Lord in the air. Comfort yourselves with these words. Even if the worst thing that could happen in life, which is death, that's the worst thing. I don't think I could think of anything worse than that. It's the worst thing that could happen in our life. We stay the course. We rise to meet the Lord. That's where our power really sits and our ability to stick with with the things of the Lord. And it goes, And therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace was hot, the flames slew all the guys that threw them in. That's how hot it was. And the three men fell it down into the midst of the, midst of the burning fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. So he was part Scottish. And he rose up in haste and spake and said unto the counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he said, Lo, I see four men loose midst in, in, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. 
and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And that's when the Lord really shines in our situations. When we stick with Him, the Lord comes out. The Lord takes the bullet for us, if you like. He stands in front of the train. He takes the hit for us. And He's there evident in our situation when we stick with Him. The encouragement for us is to know on the other end of that decision that the Lord's with us. You might feel a little bit isolated in making that decision, but when you make it, the Lord's there with you, standing in the midst. Wonderful story of encouragement, of sticking with it. And I made a little light. I, I, I put a couple of things down here as you do when you do talks and stuff. And I put these three guys and then I put shining lights. And then I wrote this down to myself. The world needs lights. It needs you to shine your light. It needs you to stand up. It needs you to stay the course. It's its only hope. Is you and I. The hope of the world now rests with us. Telling people how they can turn themselves away from the destruction that's coming upon this earth. And get back to God. That's the hope. That's us. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. Cruise there. There's lots of other examples of people who who did that, and you've probably got some in your own mind, and they're all all really good things there to encourage us. Jesus here speaking in Matthew 7, in verse 13, it says, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go that way. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life. And few there be that find it. So Jesus is making here and letting us know the state of play. There's an easy way and there's a hard way. There's a straight way and there's a crooked way. And the Lord is saying here to us as encouragement to recognize what the straight way is. And that potentially it's not going to be the most popular. It may not be the easiest way to navigate yourself through because it's a bit narrow. But it is the way which leads to life. It's the way to travel if we want victory, if we want comfort, peace, and so on and so on and so on. All the great things that the Lord has. It says, and few there be that find it. Few people are willing to stay the course. And I think the Lord here, Jesus, is telling us and giving us some insight for us to be focused and for us not to be distracted to get off this path because it's narrow. You ever seen those? Oh, I think guys probably do it too, although it'd be a bit risky. On the beam and the... And you see those ladies on the beam and they've got this beam. It's about that wide. Have you ever been on one? I've stood on it and just fallen straight off because I could hardly even balance on it. And you see those gymnasts do that stuff. And they're like, and you're like, wow, that's impressive. Flipping on it and landing straight. And you're thinking, man, that, they have stayed the course. Like they've, And they're not just, you, like they're, you just look in their eyes, they're focused. Like they, they realize, mate, if I miss this by one centimeter, my noggin's on the beam, you know. 
oh, I could get hammered here. And yeah, I just think for us, the Lord is saying to us, we understand that it's narrow. Stay the course. Be strong. Hey, Reg, how you going, bro? Awesome. That's what the Lord's telling us here in the scripture. Matthew 5, Matthew 5 and 14. Again, real well-known stuff. just want to kind of just pull it in here a little bit. Uh, Matthew 5, 14, it says, You are the light of the world. Now, this is why I really love King James, because it says, Ye, you all. That's what it means. You are all the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You can't hide. You can run, but you can't hide. That's the, that's the saying. We can't hide now because God has done things for us. He's done wonderful things in our life that we can't help but share that with other people. That's the, that's the light working in us. And then it says here, uh, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And that's part of being of staying the course is recognizing how special a relationship we have with the Lord and now what our, 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 our willing service, our reasonable service, as it says later on in the, in the gospel, uh, in the letters, our reasonable service is to now just shine that light and just to say, look, the Lord's done wonderful things for me. I can't help but share it. I can't help but stay aligned with him. yes, you are the light of the world. You might not think it. You might get up in the morning and go, oh, man. But you are the light of the world. You're a light that reflects the glory of God in your testimony. And they see that glory of the Lord in the work that God does in you as a person. I really want to push that point is that people see the glory of God in the works that he works in you. I think most of us, and maybe it's just me that's a bit thick, but um, I think most of us grasp the concept that people kind of see us as a collective and they say, oh, God's working with us. We can kind of get that, oh, he's working in the church, that's cool. But the thing we really need to grasp as individuals is that he works in us. First, and the glory of God is manifest in our personal testimony, and then we come together as a collective. So it starts to then, I guess, put a real emphasis on our personal testimony, staying the course in our personal daily walks with the Lord. Yes, we come together. It's awesome. Collective, that's great. That's cool. I'm, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just trying to separate it a little bit for us in our thinking and say, wow, so how important is my personal testimony and the things that I do in the name of the Lord? It's massive. I believe in the scripture here, and maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Says you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. I don't think we're the city. 
I think you're the city. We're all the city that are out there as these lights, not as this collective light. I want to separate that out a little bit so we see the importance of our personal testimony and the personal decisions that we make in shining the light out to the world. This fellowship does not sit in your workplace. It'd be good if it did, that'd be quite cool, but it doesn't, does it? We sit in our workplaces or our places of study. This fellowship does not sit at the table at your Christmas dinner with your family. You do. So we are the cities that are set on the hill. So our personal testimony and giving glory to the Lord through that is very, 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 very powerful and important. Let's look at Paul's encouragement. Hebrews 12. Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews. Hebrews 12. In verse 12, it says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. What that means is, We have to do something. There has to be an action from us. And I know it's funny, isn't it? Because probably most of us will probably take a step back before we take a step forward. It's it's actually almost the New Zealand way. It's like if there's something that most oh well oh 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 oh. Oh, um, oh, it's kind of the New Zealand way. There are other cultures where they take two steps forward and put their hands up. But in New Zealand, we tend to have this real, oh, I'll just hang out and then, then, then I might, yeah, we're a little bit more withdrawn in some things. And the Lord's saying here, that probably in men's heart, most people are like that. They probably want to withdraw first before they go forward. But the Lord's saying, hey, you've got to do something. He's saying, you've got to lift up your hands. you actually got to get, what that means in the Bible context is that you've got to do some work. Lift up your hands. The hands are your working mechanisms. Lift up your hands is like take them out of your pockets and do some work. That's kind of what that means. And the ones that hang down, the ones that have kind of gone, oh, not me. Oh, uh, nah, uh, that guy's way better than me. Not that guy. And the Lord's saying, no, no, you've got to step forward. You've got to do something here. And then he says, and make straight paths for your feet. Now, that doesn't mean find and forge your own way. What that means is align yourself with the way, the life, and the truth in Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Because some of us have tried to forge our own way, and it kind of, kind of ends not pretty. Lest, and then it says, so... Do something in your situation. Make good decisions. Do something in in your situation and align it with the way, the straight path. And then it says, lest or, or, or otherwise, the things that are lame in your life, healing needs is kind of what we might think about that straight away, but it might be attitude. It might be all sorts of things that aren't quite or a little bit out of kilter or we, you know, whatever that are lame in our life, the things that aren't functioning the way they should, relationships and so on and so on, 
be turned out of the way. In other words, go off the path. But, but let it rather be healed. So what it's saying here to us, and the encouragement is, is that in our time of need, whatever that is, or in our time of despair or time of decision, that if we do something, and what do we know to do? We only know one thing. Well, we probably know more than one thing, but we, we've got really a choice. We can go, can we do it the Lord's way or any other way? And the Lord's saying, do something to align and straighten your paths with the Lord. Find a scripture. Find some encouragement. Pray about it. They're the things that we know to. They're our go-to things in our tool belt of life. He's saying, do something about it. Align yourself with the path. Not, not so that the things that are not functioning in your life end up distracting you and taking you off the path, but rather that they be healed and they're a work of glory in your life that someone else might see. That's the power that there is in serving the Lord. Is that our weak points become strong because the Lord uses it for his glory. That, that's the wonderful thing about this. You don't have to go and fix all. You, you don't have to become worthy. None of us are worthy, the scriptures tell us. No, not one. It's not about getting ourselves ready. It's about aligning us ourselves with the straight path and the Lord will do the rest. So staying the course is sometimes about taking action and maybe realigning ourselves and checking. I keep saying decisions, but and that's probably where it kind of sits off. Before you'll take a before you'll actually make an take an action, you'll have to decide to do it first, won't you? Not many of us go ah. Oh, now I'll decide to do it. We decide, then we do. That's kind of how humans work. So. Our decision making needs to be that we're going to do something that aligns ourselves with the Lord. I hope that makes sense. That's cool. Let's go on. Let's go to First Corinthians. Oh no, go to First Corinthians chapter nine. And I'm just going to quote a couple of things here because I want to talk about just a, just touch on here a little bit next week. And for the guys that are in Bible class next week, I'm on Bible class next week. I can't wait. I've, I love Bible class. I can't wait. So. This is what we're going to try and focus on next week in Bible class. And that's about maintaining our testimony and what that actually means. So you've all gone to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm still fluffing around here. 1 Corinthians 9. Okay, just want to quote two things that Paul says. And if you want to write them down, you can. The first one's in 1 Corinthians 6 chapter 12, and the second one's in 1 Corinthians 10 chapter 23. And he makes a very, very similar statement, but... In my own personal testimony, these statements have been pure gold for me. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, it says, All things are lawful unto me. What that means is, I can do whatever I want. If I want to go and do something really cool, or really silly, or really dumb, or, or really responsible, I can. It's all lawful to me. I just go and do it. I'm sweet. I'm a big boy. I can tie my show and shoelaces. I can go and do it. But then he says, but all things are not expedient. The word expedient means profitable. So not everything's actually going to benefit me. I can do whatever I want, but not everything's going to benefit me. He says, all things are lawful for me. Again, I'm a big boy. I can make decisions. I can do what I want. But I will not be brought under the power of any. So what 
Paul's trying to say here to the church at Corinth and amongst a whole, whole lot of other stuff, I've just pulled this out a bit, this concept of recognizing that sometimes, yeah, we can do it, but should we? And that's the essence of maintaining a testimony. I can do whatever I want, man. I'll do that. I'll go over there and I'll do whatever I feel like doing because I can. I'll stay up to four o'clock in the morning in town. And oh, yeah, what? And we can do it. I'm going to go here and I'm going to do that. And that's, and I can do, you can do whatever you want. It's a big world. You're big people. Do what you like. Hang out with these guys. But is it profitable for you to do that? Is it responsible for you to do that? in light of our testimony being aligned with the Lord? Are you being influenced in a way that's moving you off the path? Will I be brought under the power of any? That's that's the key. Life has really got these real hooks in it. There's so many things out there today That'll try and bring you under the power of them. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Addiction is one. Anyone that's been addicted to anything before will know the pull that it has on your mind and on your heart and then what you do. And it's, it's a dangerous thing to be in a position where you are addicted to something, whatever that substance, it, it doesn't have to be that, it can be all sorts of things. Video games, there's a whole lot of studies out now showing how addictive video gaming is on the young people in in society today and all the detrimental effects that that gives them. This anger and this loss of self-control and so on. There's a whole heap of stuff you can read about if you like. But it's not just drugs and alcohol and all those sorts of things. There's a whole lot of things that we get addicted to. But when you're brought under those things, you feel powerless. And often when you talk to people that have been seriously addicted to things, you'll hear these stories where they end up in places and doing things where they never thought that they would, ever thought they'd be going down that path, and then they did them anyway, and then afterwards they're full of what? Regret. I was brought under the power of something else and it made me do it. And it's a real despicable fish hook that's out there in life. And it can happen to young kids. It can happen to old grannies. It can happen to anyone. None of us are impervious to to the addictive nature of the world. In other words, they're just trying to divert your attention away from focusing on the Lord. And there's, But the great thing is, is that the Lord can release you from all of that stuff. And he gives us these wonderful... I was going to say mantras. That's probably not the right term. These scriptures that encourage us to look before you leap. You can do whatever you want, but is it actually going to profit your walk in the Lord and your walk with Jesus Christ? Is it going to honor him or dishonor him? Like, is it black or white? Sheep, goats. The Lord's very direct. The other one, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, it says, All things are lawful for me, so we know what that means. But all things are not expedient. We know what that means. And then he says this, all things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So even if I'm not going to be brought under the power of it because I don't really care about it or it doesn't have that hold over me, should I, will it still edify me? 
Now, as a young guy growing up in the Lord with so many things that I could have got my hands and heads and feet and arms and elbows involved in, these two scriptures really, really helped me to put things through a filter. Is this going to bring me into the, under the power of something else other than the Lord? Is it profitable for me and my walk with the Lord? And will it edify me? Will it bring me closer to the Lord? And if it didn't meet those criteria, then some of the time I didn't do it. <laughs> we get a choice in life. You, everything's lawful. Go for it. You can smoke, drink, rock and roll, bet at the TAB, do whatever you want. It's all within the realms of this life. You can hurt people, you can love people, you can make money, you can do whatever you want. It's a big wide world out there. But the Lord asks us to bring these things into subjection that we might focus in on him and choose that narrow way. And you can see now with all these things, oh, it is quite narrow actually, this is it. Well, I'm going to have to be gymnast on the beam here to keep myself aligned here, otherwise I'm falling off. And that's what the Lord was trying to say there to us. Jesus is saying, hey, it's straight. It's narrow. Not many people actually find it. So when you do, look after it. And then we're going to go into some, some good stuff now. First Corinthians 9, you're there. Sorry, I took a bit long there. 24. It says, know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So only one person comes first. So run that you come first, that you obtain the prize. So to me, straight away, it's talking about, oh, we'll talk about what this talks about in a minute. I'm going to ask you some questions. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate. We know what that means, eh? It's self-controlled. The word really means disciplined. Um, temperate, oh, where is that word? Temperate, temperate in all things. But they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible crown. So it's saying, hey, these people are doing it for a gold medal or for a world record or whatever it is, or whatever, the, whatever it is, World Cup, whatever. But we do it for the crown of life. I therefore so run, this is Paul saying, not as uncertain. I'm focused here. So fight I. Not as one that beats the air, shadow boxing, hitting nothing. He says, but I keep my body... And bring it under subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should not be a castaway. In other words, I don't lose focus and I don't lose out. I'm going to read this again in the Amplified. It says, Do you know that in the race all the runners run, their very best to win it, but only one receives the prize? So run your race in such a way that you may seize the prize and make it yours. Now, every athlete who goes into training and competes in the games is disciplined and exercises self-control in all things. They do it to win a crown that withers, but we do it to receive an imperishable crown that cannot wither. Therefore, I do not run without a definite goal. I do not flail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing, but like a boxer, I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as unfit for service. Now that kind of turned the uh, that kind of turns it up a bit. So there's this thought here. So there's some there's some attributes in here that Paul's talking about. Can you name some? What do, what do you need to be an elite athlete? 
an, an elite athlete or a saint of God walking in the Lord? What do we need? Commitment? I heard commitment. Training. Determination. I don't even know where that came from. Where did that come from? Who was that? It was Al. Oh, I thought it was Annie E, but she didn't move her lips. I was thinking, man, that's incredible. <laughs> what else do we need? Endurance. Endurance. Education. Education. <laughs> Nutrition. Nutrition. Focus. Focus. Discipline. Discipline. When you get up in the morning, what drives you? What 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 have you got to have? Coffee. Ho 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 Coffee. Yep, spiritual coffee, prayer time, that's good. Make it a decaf, it's sweet. Someone said something over there? No? Pa- passion, one of my favorite words. You have to have passion. You gotta want this thing. Get up in the morning. Oh yeah. I think I'm gonna win a world record today. <laughs> Mate. I don't think you're going to get out of the blocks very quick. You've got to want that thing more than you've wanted anything. And, that, and that's, you, I love reading biographies about athletes and sport and stuff. And you listen to these guys and they're like, I wanted it more than anybody else. And I'll tell you the story that you always hear when you read about these guys who do stuff, like incredible stuff naturally. They say, I was never the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, but I outpassioned everybody else. And that's what got me to the top. There's not many people that get to the top in this world and then go, I got here because I just relied on my talent. Woo, it was easy. Not many people say that. Passion, desire, drive. Now, I, re- I, I came with a list and you guys all nailed it. Discipline. The scriptures tell us, let our moderation, our self-discipline be evident to the world. Discipline. That's knowing what, is not edifying, and then not doing those things. Determination. I had it up here at one stage. It's not that one, but it's be strong and very courageous. Was the words to 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 um, Joshua? Let our determination lead us to be bold for Him. We need it. Perseverance. We heard about that. Let nothing take away your joy in the Lord. Persevere. Patience. Let your patience lead you to the mercy and truth that Jesus has promised you. Desire. Let your desire be to rise to meet the Lord. Wake up in the morning and let that be your passion. And what are you going to do to get there? Passion. Reflect the passion you have for Christ in your life. The dangerous, passion's a great thing. You let that thing out and woo! It'll drive you all over the place. If you bottle that up, it becomes very dangerous. You bottle up passion in your life and it drives you to despair. It drives you to a a position of perhaps today, I don't want to use the term flippantly, but to a depressed state. If you don't release your passion in your life, you start to just stunt in life. Be passionate. You know, that's the saying these days. Be passionate about something. It's, it's, there's a truth in that. But the Lord's actually vying for your passion and your drive. He wants it. 
directed towards him. So let your passion for Christ, let it shine. Let people know. If you bottle it, it'll become like a really big blister on your foot and it will drive you into dark places if you if you hide it. Drive. Let your drive be for the things of the Lord. And there's so many so many applications of this stuff, isn't there? And we've all done it. Like how many, you know, we've all gone, oh, I can't believe it. I'm not, I can't, I'm just, I just don't, I don't think I'm going to go to the meeting today. And oh, I'm going to do fellowship. And oh, I know I need to, but. And then you're just like, no, it's my, I want to be here. I love it. Oh, I can't wait. And it just drives you to get there, doesn't it? And sometimes when that passion's kind of not there, then it's easier to make, say, oh, I'll opt out. Let your passion and your drive and your desire be to meet the Lord in the air and do everything you can to make sure that you reach that point. Everything you can. There are here, well, we're, we're the elite people here, let's be honest. We're elite here. We're God sealed, selected, peculiar, zealous, passionate, disciplined people full of signs, wonders, and miracles. You know, that's who we are. We didn't get here on our talent. We didn't get here because we worked it out. We didn't get here because we were nice or we were angry or we were tough or we were soft or worthy. We got here because Jesus loved us and he placed the Holy Ghost in us that now drives us. That's why we're here. Just like those elite athletes. We didn't get here on talent. We got here because the Lord gave us the wherewithal to do it with the Holy Ghost. That's why we're here. So let those things that the Holy Ghost works in our life, let them, let them out. Let's finish James 5. Um, James, James, James. Your testimony is one of the most powerful weapons in your arsenal. Your personal walk with the Lord and your story and what the Lord is, the real things that the Lord has done for you in your life. No one can take that away from you. Ever. And you can stick true to it and you can be, you know, a lot of people say, be who you are. You know, find yourself. Know your testimony. Be your testimony. That's you. That's what God's done in your life. Be that. Love it. It's important. No one can take that away for you. You can sit in front of the Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, the biggest theologian in the world, the Pope, whoever. You can sit with them and have a conversation about the Lord, and they will not be able to refute one thing that's happened in your personal testimony in in the world with theology and rubbish and hoo-ha and incense and all sorts of crossing and stuff. You, they can't refute it with any of that. I asked the Lord for the Holy Spirit just as the disciples did on the day of Pentecost. I spoke in tongues. I was baptized. I've seen healings, signs, wonders, miracles. I've got peace, love, joy. That's my life. That's my testimony. You can say whatever you want to say, but that is my testimony. It's a powerful, powerful thing. James 5, James 5, James 5, James 5. In verse 7, uh, just a little bit of reading here. It says, it's almost like your grandfather speaking. Be, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, 
and has long patience for it until he receives the early and latter rain. The husbandman is a farmer. Put something in the ground, doesn't pop up the next day. It will pop up and you will have your crop and you will have those things, but you have to wait for it. And what it's saying here to us is the Lord is coming back for us. Be patient towards that. Know it's going to happen. It will happen. Be patient for it, knowing that it is coming. It says in verse 8, Be ye also patient and establish your heart. Be determined. Be disciplined. For the coming of the Lord draws near. It's another encouragement for us to stay the course. It says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. In other words, just what um, Uncle Don said on Wednesday night. You do that, there's three pointing back. You start having a whinge. None of us can whinge. We've got no soapbox to stand on. What the Lord's asked us to do is to roll up our sleeves and just get involved. It says, Behold, the judge stands before the door. So, that, In other words, the Lord's coming back. Don't grudge with people because the Lord might come back and, and catch you out in a, in a grudge match. Um, Ten. Take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. We read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego today. Take them as your examples. You need to build up in your patience. Go and read some stories about your brothers and sisters who have stood up against all sorts of things and got through and been patient. 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You want to be happy in your life? Stay the course. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You will receive what you're asking for from the Lord. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be when he returns, but you will receive it. He is gracious. He is pitiful and he is mercy. He has mercy on you. And here's the last one just to finish on. It says, but above all things, my brethren... Oh, no, that's not the one that I want. Hey. Oh, I guess it is. No, that's not it. That was pretty good, though. That was all good. No, that's right. No. 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven nor by the earth, neither by any oath. But let your yea be yea and your nay be nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Are we for the Lord or not? Yes, we are. We don't need to prove that to anybody with with anything. I believe in God and therefore I've signed here or I've said this or I've done this. No, I believe in the Lord. He filled me with his Holy Spirit so I know he believes in me. And I will stay the course. I will, I will be there when the Lord returns. One way or another. I'll either be the first one up or in the second group. There are options. Stay the course, folks. The Lord is coming back. Let us be victorious. Let us maintain our passion and our desire and our drive and our discipline. And we will meet the Lord in that air and we have all our needs met. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Ronald.